All right, it's time for us to go ahead and get started tonight, if we can, please. We are very, very happy that you're here tonight. Everybody seems lively tonight and excited. Uh, for whatever reason that is, we're glad that you feel that way. Good to see all these smiling faces. And uh, we are blessed to have some guests with us tonight. We're always honored to have visitors, and we want you to know that and uh, give us a chance to uh, visit with you before you leave tonight. Uh, just a few updates. Uh, first of all, be sure and pick up one of the bulletins. It's got an update on all the sick and other information. We don't want to remember in prayer those that have been affected by uh, Hurricane Idalia. I think that's how you say it. Uh, but uh, they've really been hit hard down in Florida, harder than expected, so we need to remember them in prayer. Uh, for our youth, uh, Rush is coming up at Freed Hardeman, September 22nd through the 24th. And uh, those in 7th through 12th grade are encouraged to attend, and there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Also, there's going to be a meeting of all Lads to Leaders event leaders, uh, or those that want to help, next Sunday evening, September the 10th, following our evening classes. Please keep this in mind. Next Wednesday night, a week from tonight, all adult classes are going to meet together here uh, in the auditorium. Uh, we're going to hear a very interesting and important Uganda missions update. Uh, you know Brother Terry Smith, many of you do, he'll be here and uh, let's be looking forward to that. We do want to express our sympathy to Zachary Long and the death of his father, Billy Long of Tishomingo. Remember that family in your prayers. Also uh, keep in mind that uh, Brother Todd Sweeney, Brother Aaron Foster, have been presented to the congregation here as prospective elders. And again, if you have any scriptural reasons as to why they should not serve, uh, you're welcome to submit that in writing and put that in the box back in the foyer. Uh, also, <clears throat> I wanna congratulate, I don't know if he's here tonight, Edward Smith. Uh, you know, he won an election, didn't he? Isn't that great? One of our own won an election, uh, District 5, I think. Uh, superintendent, so I wanted to congratulate. Sorry, what did I say? Well, anyhow, he's going to superintend some things while he supervises. Okay, so same thing, right? Okay, uh, you're a supervisor too, aren't you? Even though you're a superintendent. Okay, all right. See, not everything comes out of my mouth the way it starts in my brain. I don't know why that is. I'm still trying to figure that out. But anyhow, congratulations to uh, Edward Smith. Uh, do keep in mind our food pantry and clothes closet that uh, is in need of canned meat. That's the food pantry item for this week. Please remember that. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight. I do want to encourage you to be back Sunday at 9.30 for our worship service and uh, 5 o'clock for our Bible classes. We'd love to see you then. For our devotional tonight, Brother Drew Bruce will be leading our singing and uh, Jim, Brother Jim Estes will present our devotional thoughts, and Brother Cameron Jumper will dismiss us in prayer. <clears throat> invitation song will be 939. 939 will be the invitation song we're going to mark it this time. 939, oh, why not tonight? Once you get that mark, you can turn toward the front of the book to number 23. Number 23. <clears throat> there is beyond the azure blue. 
the elders have been uh, talking about the development opportunities that these Wednesday night devotionals do present. And we really appreciate the devotional talks by Cameron Jumper and Guy Gardner the past two weeks. Our hope is that we can have a different male member of the congregation each Wednesday night make these devotional talks from about three to five minutes. I know Brother Doug is in the process of preparing the schedule for that. When Janita and I were dating, her daddy asked me to make a devotional talk here at the Boonville Congregation. I was about 19 or 20 years old at that time and a little bit nervous. I still can remember the text for that devotional talk. It was Galatians, the sixth chapter, verses seven through 10. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. I can even remember the title of that devotional talk, God is not mocked. You know, when you think about mocked, tricked, or disobeying God, expecting no consequences. You just can't do that. You know, uh, we know a lot about being tricked. If you're like me, multiple times during the day you get a robocall. And when you start listening to it, somebody is trying to trick us. Or maybe it's an email and it's a fishing expedition that somebody is out on. But the fact is, you can't even watch the news because people have been taking stories and spinning them and so you don't even know what to believe when you're listening to the nightly news but God is not mocked he knows the very thoughts and the intents of our hearts and he maintains a, a perfect record of what we've done in our lives I think about that gospel song there there's an all-seeing eye watching you and certainly that's true and there's a perfect record of our life you know, our life are filled with choices, and the Bible is filled with a record of people who are making choices, and it shows us that no one was, has ever been able to fool God. Maybe you remember some of those choices. You know, I, I remember about people that tried, Adam and Eve, Cain, most of the world at the time of the flood, Lot's wife, Nadab and Abihu, when you think about the whole history of the Jewish nation and how God was consistently dealing with them because they were falling back into sin. And even in the New Testament, Judas's carrot, Ananias and Sapphira, Demas, Diotrephes. But it, thankfully, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit has given us a record of a great cloud of witnesses that chose to follow God. Think about Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses. And the New Testament example with records of people like Paul and Timothy and Titus and Lydia and Gaius. But you know, Galatians 6 and verse 7 starts out by admonishing us, be not deceived. Well, deceived about what? Well, the fact is, there are consequences to the choices that we make in life. We can choose the ways of the world and that'll take us down a path that'll lead to destruction and ultimately eternal loss. Or we can choose the way of the spirit and that'll keep us in the light of Christ and ultimately lead to everlasting life. Galatians 6.10, even suggests where we could start in making our Christ-centered choices. It said, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. When you think about your own life, what's motivating 
your choices. You know, I think a, an important thing to know is that if your choices have been bad, you can change. Just think about what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, starting about verse nine. He said, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Okay, here we are, we got those words again. And then he lists about 10 specific sins that can keep us out of heaven. But he goes on to say, remember he's talking to Christians here, and such were some of you, but you're washed and you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. When we became Christians, all of those bad choices that we have made got washed away. Do you need to make that decision tonight and start on a new life? Or if you've already become a Christian, but you've continued to make bad choices, there's a wonderful promise in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're subject to the invitation, won't you come right now as we stand and sing? Oh, do not let the word be so thankful to be here at this place in this moment right now Lord we're so thankful to be here with gathered with imperfect people exhorting one another striving to do your will and we're ever so thankful to have them to lean on Lord we're ever so thankful to be able to serve you in whatever capacity that is we all have gifts we all have talents we pray that we'll use those all to your glory Lord, we ask thee to be with the many number affected from the storms. We ask thee to be with the many number of homeless across this great nation. We look to all those veterans and war heroes and the ones who have suffered much for this country. Lord, we pray for comfort to them and the things that are necessary for life. Lord, we ask thee to be with the many of lost loved ones, the ones undergoing cancer treatments and doctor's care at this time. We pray to be with the ones that are healing and recovering and be with the nurse's staff that are caring for them. Lord, we ask thee to be with each one of us. Pray that we'll continue to stay strong in the faith and continue to feed on thy word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. While our teachers go to class, we'll sing the first verse of number 300. 300 first verse as the teachers go to class. <clears throat> Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, sing no 
class again. So glad to everyone here. As we start, normally we'll go over a list of sick and any changes or additions we need to make to that. Um, any updates on anybody or any added people we need to be praying for? Sure, so it was successful. <coughs> It is rough. We need to remember the Johnny Davis family. He passed away Friday, and he was a member of the church here. Um, the Davis family member of the church passed away Friday. Also remember Sue Mason as well in her uh, replacement surgery. Anybody else? Larry Moore in the Jumpertown area. Prayers for him. Of course, the people down south with all the storms, they've, as far as I know, have passed through, so they'll be dealing with uh, what's left of it in the aftermath. <coughs> One of the lost child continue to pray for them. What was that first name? Roy Lamb. Roy Lamb. Married the supervisor of her brother. As a matter of fact, uh, Larry was Larry Henry's brother in law and Roy's Larry's brother in law's brother. Okay. <laughs> Small world. <laughs> he had have COVID. <clears throat> Continue prayers for Luther Mormon. Anybody else? All right, we'll go ahead and have prayer to begin. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have. We're so thankful for these facilities we have here to gather. Lord, we lift up to you the names mentioned, the many troubled people, sick, ones that are in pain. We pray for the ones especially going to go and cancer and cancer treatments, Lord, pray for the strength to give them to fight through this and continue to press on. Lord, we ask thee to be with the family with the young child. Lord, we pray comfort unto them. Lord, we pray for this country at this time. Lord, we pray for its leaders. Lord, we pray for unity in this great land. Lord, we pray that we can all work together for a common goal. Pray, Lord, that you will continue to be number one in our lives. Lord, we ask you to be with us here at this congregation. We're so thankful for the leadership we have. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we look to place new leaders along to work with the ones we have. Lord, we're so thankful for many people that are qualified in these positions. Lord, we pray the ones that are upcoming for the future. Lord, we pray for them. And we also are thankful for the ones before us who came and paved the way. Lord, we ask you to go with us through this study. Lord, to be with us to... Help us open our hearts and put away the worries and stresses of this world so we can look and feed on thy word. We ask this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we got into chapter 7 last week. And uh, before we get started, to remind you, next Wednesday night there will be a presentation here. So we won't have class, but we'll be in here to, uh, to watch that. So we're almost getting close to halfway through our time we have in this book. Um, afraid we may not make it to the end of Second Corinthians, but we'll do the best we can and get as far as we, we can. 
So chapter 6, chapter 7, and verse 6, uh, we made it to um, verses 6 through 8. The scripture says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. So if we look here in verse 6, the statement he says, or verse 7, I wish that all were as myself am. What's he referencing to here? Look at his marital status of him being single. So we look at that and we think about it. These references there to him being unmarried. As we look at that and realize marriage, the ones that of us are, that are married, you know, we look at how great of a blessing it is to be married. You know, my wife is one of my greatest blessings that I have. You know, we think about this and the point of it. I say that to point out that Paul in that had a sacrifice of not being married as he looked to put God first. Have you ever thought about it, though, of why Paul may have not been married? Persecution. He had great persecution following him, didn't he? Absolutely. Any other reasons? We think about the lifestyle. He was continually traveling. You know, they didn't have Highway 4 and Highway 45 then and rest stops and gas stations. You think about that traveling. You think about the dangers out on the roads. And if he had had children, you can imagine the situation that they'd have been in. So if we look at it kind of from that aspect of the lifestyle of the troubles of dangers, could have played into a factor of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was his number one mission. And you even look at before when he was Saul, you know, he was the same way in that. He, he, was, he was looking towards doing that, but he had lost sight. He hadn't realized what was going on, and God used him. You know, he had a special purpose for him. You know, he told him, he said, the, he will see the things that he will suffer for me. In verse 9, we look here. He says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. You know, he's instructing them here that it's better to take or have a wife and to fulfill desires than to commit sin. You know, he's pointing out, even though he is in this state being unmarried, that if you cannot do that, then it's better to marry than to sin. You know, a long time ago, I heard a Bible class teacher. He made the statement that was this. He said, us as Christians, we must fulfill righteous desires righteously. You know, we think about that. You know, first we look at the desire for it to be righteous of whether it's wrong or not. And then we look at the way of fulfilling it. it. Desires can be filled unlawfully and lawfully, but as Christians we must look to do that righteously. Hebrews 13.4 tells us that marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Um, we look here and we think about marriage and we look of it. What are some good examples of marriage in the Bible that comes to mind for some of y'all? Abraham and Sarah. Absolutely. First one that come to mind for me, you think about Joseph and Mary. You know, think about the situation they was put in. He was placed in and you know, it had to take great faith to overcome and go through that. Any other marriages comes to mind? Peter must have had a good marriage. I mean, he was a, qualified as an elder. I didn't ever think about that, really. He had to, though, didn't he? That's a good point. Talking about Peter there. Think about Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, Acts 18.26 and Romans 16.5, if you're taking notes. Uh, remember what profession they was in? Tent makers. Uh, another was Ruth and Boaz and Isaiah 54, 4 and 5. Think about Noah and his wife. There's some that comes to that. But when we think about marriage <clears throat> and husbands and a bride, 
What is the greatest mentioned in the Bible that you can think of? If we turn to Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 22, verse 33. <clears throat> the scripture tells us, Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ <clears throat> is the head of the church, his body, and himself as its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife love himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, just as Christ does the church. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and the wife as we see as she respects her husband. So we look at the bride, we look at the church, we look at the care of it, this example for us is a great example, great lesson there. Any comments on the marital status of Paul or marriage in general on this topic anyone have? I have an article in a commentary that was sort of a historical note of marriage and stuff in the times of them, looking at it through the angle of the Corinthians and the Romans. It says that Jewish law in those days only permitted the husband to initiate a divorce, and only under extreme circumstances could the wife request a court to compel her husband to divorce her. But in contrast, the Roman law viewed unmarriage as a matter of simply mutual consent and so dissolve the marriage if either party requested it. Under Roman divorce, the children often went to the father. Rapid remarriage was customary and society encouraged it, especially in young women. So the church congregation in Corinth probably included some new converts who had been remarried one or more times <clears throat> before their conversions. Paul addressed the Christians who wanted to divorce spiritually incompatible spouses, offering his own judgment. He contended that spiritual incapacity did not prove adequate grounds for divorce, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14. In addition, he gave the command of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11. He seemed to cite Jesus' general prohibition of divorce in Mark 10, 11, and 12. Ancient interpreters commonly qualified general principles, modifying or interpreting them account for specific situations. In this manner, Paul interprets Jesus' principle for the needing to be qualified for those who are divorced against their will in cases which an unbelieving mate deserted the marriage. So as we kind of look at that as kind of a background of those times um, of it, of kind of how each viewed different on that. As we get here at verse 10, it's about to change gears on this and we look at, he's about to deal with a whole nother problem here in the church. And what's the problem that's about to arise here? Divorce. Divorce. So here it comes. You know, they're writing, asking these questions coming up. Yet again, another problem he's dealt with several as we get here. And as he gets prepared to do it, I think it was noticeable as I study and looking at it, he breaks the people up in three different categories. As we look here when he speaks to them, the first part of verses 8 and 9, he speaks to the unmarried. When we get to verse 10 and 11, he's speaking to the married people. And then in verse, the third point, verses 12 through 16, it's notated as he's speaking to the rest of them, which will be Christians married to unbelievers. You know, as we look at that and think about it, um, we look at each point of it, another distinction comes up after it. Um, if we look here at verses 8 and 9, um, 
previous to that, verses 6 and 10, he brings out his instruction in two different ways. Verse 6, he gives them one instruction. In verse 10, he gives another instruction. How do the two differ? So as he looks here, he tells them things that's absolutely by God commanded. And then others is kind of, you know, a concession of his own of things that they should do. You know, when we look at that about today, when we study with people and teach people, you know, we have kind of opinions and instructions versus scripture and commandments of God. You know, we've always got to be careful not to make a law or let our opinions or how we feel about it dictate that. Just like Paul, we must note the difference and put emphasis on God's command of being what matters. Um, if we look through here, I'll read verses 8 through 16. And he says here, To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should never not divorce her. He should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save the wife? So as we look here in verses 10 11, the very first part of it, who is he speaking to here? Chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. He's speaking to the married people. So as he's here, and in this context, he's speaking to the married people. Whose command is this that's given? It's God's command. So we look here, speaking to the married people, command of God. So as we look to this part in the context of this, if she does, what does this imply? As we look here, a woman may separate from her husband. You know, as we look at this, certain situations, you know, we look at things from it, you know, and it may be a point of safety of life or many other things. We look at it. But if she does separate, there's two options here that he lays out. What are the two options? Either be reconciled or remain unmarried. Um, you know, and we look, and we, we look at these situations. Sometimes they're kind of touchy or others. But the thing about, you know, God doesn't make these situations. In the end, it's always usually sin and, um, you know, other issues that brings these out. But as he comes here, he's speaking to married people. It's a command of God, and he lays out the options we have here. Um, verses 12 through 16, as we look at that, what group is being spoken to here? Christians married to unbelieving or uh, un, not of the faith as we look at that. And a lot of times when we look at this, uh, this topic or this here, you know, it's kind of a slippery slope. Um, you know, what do we most time teach our kids when they're young about marriage, that, our preference? Marrying a Christian, marrying someone faithful, which is absolute good sound advice, great things here. We look and we think about that. And the twofold of it is how beautiful a thing it is to watch someone be led to Christ through that. You know, we all want the best. We want, when you're paired with someone, you want to be yoked equally and having the same mindset, be having the same goals, you know, to, set, to serve God and do these. You know, we think about things, and through my perspective, I look. When I was a child, you know, my father, he very seldomly would go to church. He would go sometimes, you know, he would be up in the morning, help us get around and go. But he, would never, he never really attended faithfully. So as we got older and got on up and got more of age and 
As we got up and started to get closer to getting out of the house, he started going a little more, a little after that. And then by the time we were leaving or out of the house, he was going to church continually with my mother. So he would go, you know, every time the doors was open. And I seen a spark in him that kind of a little desire. You see, when you're studying with somebody and you start bringing topics and questions, people kind of spark an interest and sort of get to questioning things and digging in the scriptures and doing. And I seen that come from my father. And in the end, when he was saved, he was more faithful than my mother. He would, even if something happened or she wouldn't, he was there, you know, even unto his death. So we look at the things, you know, we never know what God has in plan and other. And we always want the best for our children. But just to note that that faithful wife or that faithful husband, you know, there's such great rewards in that. And we think about how we feel about it and look at it. Romans 8:28 kind of sums up, and it's kind of my feelings about the situation. So if we look at Romans 8, verses 28. The scripture says, And we know for that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we look and think about things of we only have so much control. We're only able to see so much. You know, God is in control of all things. As we get here in these next scripture, it talks about, you know, living as our role and where we've been placed. So we think about things in our life. We may have been placed at a, in a place at a certain time to carry out God's will. As we look at that and we think about, as it turns here, um, the next section of scriptures, we look at living as we are called. So we think about that. What are some things that people say about people that has a calling or are called just in, the, just in the regular world? We see somebody in professional trade, people say, man, he's found his calling. Or, you know, look at somebody, no matter what a mechanic or anything, you look at it and they say, that, that's really his calling. We think about that. And people with calling, some people are good managers. Some people are good technicians. Some people are good leaders. You know, there's all different facets of life where people really have their calling, and we do it. It's the same way in the church. You know, as we look here, you know, the Scripture talks about things, you know, not all are, you know, we can't all be occupying the same role. Everyone has a place. Everyone has strong points. Everyone has abilities. Um... As we look here at verse 17, and I was going to read also both translations because in the ESV, verse 17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. That is my rule in all the churches. The King James Version, it says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. You know, as we look here, the term that says God hath distributed, what does that tell us? He's in control. These things that we have are given from God. And I believe it's in both our duties and talents we have in the church and our everyday life ability and duties and talents. Can we not use those things to the glory of God as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Bible tells us whatever thy hand findest to do, do it with all your might. You know, we look at things, having pride, you know, being proud of these things, doing a good work. Um, you know, you look at in life, you have a reputation in business and doing things. You know, you work your whole life to do, do good and to get a good reputation, but it seems it only takes one slip up or the right person or the right thing to completely destroy and tear it down. It's as well the same as in the church. So as we look at that, we have that duty of doing those things and maintaining uh, to be glorifying to God. Here in verse 18 and 19, the scripture says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. As we look here in verse 18, you know, we look and we think about this in the term of this. 
Is he saying that in our life, if he, we will say, just say we was a thief for a living, and then we were converted, does that mean that it's okay that we can continue to do that? Absolutely not. You know, we look at Romans 6, 1, says, you know, we can't continue in our sins that, that grace may abound. God forbid. You know, as we look and think about this, though, what does this tell us about what he's references about the circumcision of the old? Is he telling it it's relevant or irrelevant? Nothing to it. All that's before, it's irrelevant. He's trying to tell them, you're being concerned about these old laws you're hanging on to, you know, having to deal with all these things. You know, he's trying to make the emphasis that that's not to be concerned, that's not to worry about. What circumcision is he concerned about? Circumcision of the heart. Absolutely. You know, it's the Word of God penetrating us and changing our ways and the way we act and teach and what we do. That's the concern that he has. Any questions or comments up to this point? As we look at verse 20 and 21, Scripture says, And each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. Becoming a Christian doesn't free us from our worldly obligations. As we look here, many of these were trying to use the term of becoming a Christian that nothing else mattered. We still have to pay our bills, don't we? Still have to pay our taxes, don't we? You know, Christians are not above the law. Many times we think about this. God's law is superior, no doubt. But we still have to obey the laws of the land. Um, we have no special privileges in this world. You know, it doesn't make us to allow to come above any of that. In 22 through 24, it says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freeman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, therefore let him remain with God. You know, in Christ we find the burden, the freedom from the burden of sin. But we cannot let worldly responsibilities pull us away from our responsibility to God. This day and time it's easy, easy for us to be pulled away and let our focus and overload our wagon. It reminds me of the old song, I don't even recall who the singer was, but I owe my soul to the company store. You know, we think about in the life sometimes, you know, up early in the morning, work all day, do these things. Sometimes it feels like we've done that. What have we sold or sold out to? You know, we think about this, and I remember when I was about 20 year old, I was working with an older gentleman, about five of the guys, we was pouring some concrete down a, a paved ditch behind a building. You couldn't get any equipment in there, and you couldn't get the concrete truck. So we wheelbarred about seven and a half yards of concrete back there. Well, the guy that was the truck driver was working the chute. Well, every time the old man come through, the concrete guy was, he was worried about not overloading those wheelbarrows. So every time the old man come through, if he seen him not loading one, he said, don't worry about the mule, just load the wagon. So we think about that. The world will do that to us. The world don't care about the mule. It'll keep loading the wagon. Think about it. But God isn't that way. He tells us and promises us that he won't put more on us than we can what? We can bear. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? We think about it and we think about all these things and trusting in his promises. Um, you know, for... We think about what we have and all this, but we can always look somewhere and find somebody in worse shape than us. So as we look to that, find peace and comfort in that, he won't put more on us than we can handle. We might think it is, but we have his promise. Uh, verse 24, he says, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. So as we look at that, no matter where we are in our point of life, or where we have been, or what our responsibilities were at that time, he's saying no matter what, stay with God. 
Don't let any of those responsibilities, don't let any of that pull us away from him, that no matter what, stay with God. As we get here to verse 25 and on, we look and he's talking about the unmarried and the widowed kind of here in this section. In verse 25, Scripture says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment. Here we go again. He, in the other part, he talked about things that were a concession from him and things that come directly of God. So when it comes to this, he's being clear of saying, The Lord has commanded nothing here to tell you. But he leads on and says, I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. The question says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have, a worldly, will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Scripture tells us man born of woman is of what? A few days of full trouble. That's another promise, isn't it? Not all the promises are good, but they're truthful. You know, we look here and we talk about, you know, of a Christian dying of a spouse. You know, it, there's one command of how they should marry. Remember we talked about it earlier? Marry a Christian, marry in Christ. So we look here, he says, you know, the relation of it, do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice though as they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. At the end of this here, what's he referencing and pointing out? Look at the way that they're acting, the situation they're in, and the way that they're acting. As we look here, You know, he's dealt with all these issues, and as he goes through, you know, he's bringing up the way that they are, commands of God, um, of what he says, you know, of it. You know, he gives his concession. You know, have people here acting one way and being another. You know, he's telling them, you know, if you're free from a wife, you know, you know, do not continue to seek. And as he says, this is no commandment of it. So he's giving his opinion of how they ought to act. And look at this. In 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. So in the point of this, freeing from anxieties, what would that open them up and allow them to do better? Serve God. You know, we look at things in this life, things that we want, they come with attachments. You know, anything worth having is going to cost you something. You know, sometimes we look and we think about wanting this nice new bass boat or fishing boat, but... The extra Saturdays, Saturdays we have to work for it. We don't enjoy it as much as we think. So sometimes in the end it can become a burden more to us than something we was looking to be pleasing. So in the context of this, he's wanting them to be loosed and unfree so that they're open to serve God. You know, Paul, that's the whole point of this that Brother Jim brought up. You know, it was his number one goal. He was focused. He wasn't going to let anything get in the way from that. And in his teachings, you know, it, it shows that here. In 35, he said, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. Again here, talking against binding. 
And he's wanting them to, and to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Anyone who thinks that he is not behaving properly toward the betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Again, he brings it up again, that before you sin, even though this is his opinion of what they do, marry before you get into sin. And in the last part, 39, he says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, as we talked about before, only in the Lord, referring to a Christian. And again, he brings in his point of view. He says, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So he contends all through this to maintain that it is best, gives the boundaries of it, of sin, you know, he gave them the borders of it. Didn't want them to, you know, kind of stay in the middle of the road. Don't go too far one way or the other. Um, before we step over into the first part of chapter 8, does anybody have any questions or comments? We have some conflicting instructions to widows about younger widows ought to marry. Um, I know in this context he, he's talking about of the present time, I'm thinking maybe the environment may have changed some when he wrote that. That would be 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, Brother Jim was bringing up there, Brother Adam was mentioning. You know, as we look here, as he's going to these different places and letters to different people, um, you know, he gives provisions of this, and as of God directed them, you know, Scripture have been God-breathed. Anytime he notates commands of God and where those lines are there. Oh, uh, now the part about the yeah, now, now the part about on um, you know, as far as marrying in the Lord, um, you know, it was brought up earlier in the part, so that would be a command of God. Uh, now, the last part, you know, he says, yet in my judgment, you know, he's talking about he would, he thought that they would be happier there of it. And that's when he says at the end, he said, and I think, too, that I have the Spirit. So through this, you know, this is sort of a longer book, and it seems like continually when he started out, he was changing gears from what was a command, what was his opinion, to what was a command, you know. And then here at the end, you know, widows, you know, and the unmarried, um, you know, he, he strongly contends you know, of being able to serve God better. But what does God tell us about marriage? It's not good for man to what? Be alone. So as we study and look at that, we've got to take, um, you know, both sides of it. And um, God, as he lays out the command and, and of it, you know. And you think, you know, many couples and marriages, you think of the good that's done that husband and wives do, you know, encouragement, teaching together. You know, you look at the home and marriage as a great works done in it. But in this time, and you think about the context and the days and the travels, like we talked about before of Paul, you know, for him in this setup, you know, I agree that for him to remain single was the better option in the dangers and all the things and travels. And especially the point of bringing children into it, you know, it's, it would have been a very treacherous, you know, dangerous time and slowing him down in traveling and going to these towns. Um, he was focusing on building up the church and carrying the word to them. choose what you're going to do. If you're going to do this, you know, he gives his of it. But, you know, I think about putting myself in those shoes, you know, for me personally, mentally and everything else, I would rather do it alone than tagging, you know, having a wife and a child to have to be concerned because you'd be divided on concern and worried about their well-being than not worrying about yourself just moving forward and serving the Lord. So I think he was much more successful. Yeah. Be divided. Meet the obligation to take care of your family, and you know it'd be almost 
Very tough. And you think about the, the hand that he was dealt, you know, he was, you know, come here and, you know, he also had all these demons he was dealing with of all the sin he had in his life. You know, you can imagine the emotional, you know, he was, he carried a lot of baggage of things he had done from Stephen and, you know, many other things. Before we close in prayer, any more comments or questions? Um, we started in chapter 8. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to, to set aside a time here and talk and think and reason and look at your words and hope to open it up and feed on it and learn some new things and try to see the lessons from that day and apply it today in our lives as we grow and as we strive to serve you. Lord, we ask you as we depart from this place, Lord, pray to keep us safe, Lord, and bring us back the next point in time, if it be thy will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.